When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City of Chronicles is a Bay of Chronicles production. There's so many things I want to get into with this game. It's why I'm sorry I skipped the small talk this week and just went straight for it because there's just so much to say about this game and there's like subplot upon subplot. I want to talk about the players. I want to talk about the formations. I want to talk about individuals on both sides of it. But you've gone for Spalletti and I, I, I do love the whole, the whole setup of this game with Spalletti and Allegri doing this sort of dance at a distance with each other where, you know, Spalletti came in and played that underdog card to a T. Oh no, I'm not good like he is. He's won leagues. I just have to learn from someone like that. And then Allegri <laughs> came in with his um, calling him buffo e divertente, which is like buffo means funny, but it's sort of like a wacky, zany kind of funny. I translated it in my column as zany. And like, we've talked about this with Spalletti before, Mina, like, and Totti in his book talking about him running naked down corridors. Like, he is a bit of a character. (laughs) But also, like, it does feel like a bit of a, like, slap in the face kind of comment to say about a fellow merch. Like, oh, he's a wacky one. I I loved, (laughs) I loved the energy of that, like, from both of them beforehand, like, both playing their parts in this story. And then I loved, loved, loved Spalletti at the end of the game going for his handshake with that total deadpan face and just like following Allegri as he's heading to the tunnel. And poor Allegri, like you just lost 5-1. I'm completely like understanding of like just wanting to get out of there and like not have to be in front of everyone. Compose yourself at the press conferences. I just, I think it's because Mina, like, because I'm like fundamentally in person quite a polite person. I think actually it's some of it's like Italian upbringing, like fare la bella figura, like not like making yourself like, mm-hmm. um, making a show of yourself. It's like part of like how I grew up and was brought up. I'm always like, enti- I have to be quite confident with people, know people before I feel like I can get a sassy with them. And like, I just, I love it. <laughs> and when, then it's very sassy. <laughs> I love it when someone else is like a bit more sassy and like just puts it out there. And I felt like, I felt like Luciano was being sassy this week and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it was. I think, honestly, the whole build up to this game was really fascinating as well. There were just so many good articles coming out just about there was one in particular about like the way that they've been raised and, you know, like all the all the similarities that they had and who they were coaching on, who they had been coached by. And they were talking about like how Allegri was this like fantastic midfielder that played in Serie A and 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 managed like a hundred over a hundred appearances, whereas like you know poor Spalletti never really managed to get far in the way that they were raised. You know Allegri was allowed to to indulge in a little bit of fun, have his freedom. You know could be wacky, whereas you know where Spalletti it was a lot more about the work culture, the ethic, you know discipline. And how that has actually changed when it comes to the way that they play their football, right? Allegri is all about the, the, 
the work ethic, the nothing fancy, nothing interesting about it, right? Not like the childhood that he had. Whereas good old Spalletti, who had been raised in a different manner, actually brings out the fun in his game, you know, the splendor of, of how beautiful his teams are and how well coached they are. And I thought it was just, it was fascinating, you know? And everything that I thought was going to happen didn't really happen, you know? Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of like, it was really funny because I was looking at the betting odds for this and it was just like so, it was like almost like there was just no way that any of the betting places thought that Juventus were going to win this. And because the value was so high, if you put like a 10 pounds on Juventus win, you'd win like 500,000 pounds. It was like, that was how stretched that they thought this was going to be. But it was different things. It was about how many of these two teams had scored in the last minutes of the game, right? It was all about like, could this be tight? And then at the end, there'll just be an explosion of goals because these are the two best teams that score at the end of the game. Juventus especially good after 90 minutes, Napoli especially good after 75, all of these things that I thought would happen. And instead it was just this destruction on show by Spalletti. And yeah, it's that, it's the deadpan. It's him just sort of walking around after they got two goals and being like, you know, not a single bit of him was like trying to show any any like happiness you know and this is the guy who like if- you just have that straight face but it's that straight face that like underneath it you feel like there's like the mischief like you're like oh i see what you're doing but it might not be he's just got that sort of i don't know he's got that aura do you ever have this thing where sometimes like you have a word but it's in another word and it's really annoying like when i watch a team like totally destroy another team and i really enjoy the loss like i'm always thinking schadenfreude mm-hmm. yeah and and for this when when it's the other way around like when it's mighty and winning and it's like haha you thought we we're gonna lose it's always like Toma. all of a sudden i'm really spanish <laughs> i don't know why you know but i'm thinking in my head spalletti's probably like in your face you know <laughs> like when he when he was sitting there saying i never win you know yeah and then he came up to me the one time i did and and, and it was like talking to me about morality <laughs> and i was like come on spalletti you do win you know you do win and and this time you made sure you didn't just win you destroyed, you eviscerated, you completely threw them out of this planet. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing with Spalletti, right? Like he was playing the underdog role, but the fact is he has won. He won the league twice with Zenit. He got Roma two Coppa Italia wins, which all right, it's not winning the league, which he was at one point got quite close to doing. But it was still at the time, the first time they'd won the cup in 15 years and they haven't won it since. So it's not nothing what he won there as well. So Precisely. I think he has that pride within him, but he was swallowing it to, 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 to play the part this week and, and, and it worked out so well for him. And, and I enjoyed his, his talks after the game as well. He was talking about, you know, basically, um, we can't saying he doesn't think that Napoli can play sort of getting stuck in, having a fight, like defending kind of football. They've just got to play this second kind of football. And I think someone is going to punish them for that. And that's the worry for the Champions yeah. League is that they don't defend very well. Um, you can't always play on the front foot. But I mean, to get into it, like tactically, there's no question who got their, their, their tactics right. And Spalletti didn't really have to do anything clever. He just did what Napoli had been doing all season. It was their first choice 11, more or less. And they played exactly how you would expect them to play. They wanted the ball. They wanted it high up the pitch. They switched flanks very effectively with Politano and uh, Karatskelia. On the other side of it, you had a decision that, to me, defines the first half of the game, certainly, and, and, and in a catastrophic way for Juventus. This decision to start Federico Chiesa at right wing back, 
Everybody knows that this Napoli team is incredibly dangerous down that left-hand side, their left, your right, when you've got Ferret Scalia and, Victor, and then Victor Osimhen coming through the middle. That combination is such a big combination for them and has been all season. So if you put Chiesa right wing back with the intention of we're going to push so aggressively on that side that Ferret Scalia doesn't have the opportunity to come forward, he's got to come track back and deal with Chiesa, then I get it. But Juventus didn't do that. And that's not surprising because they never do that. They always sit deep. That's exactly. all they can do under, <laughs> under Allegri. And so what you had was a right wing back who's not good at defending and who just got caught in no man's land all the time, including really badly on the second goal, but also to some extent was part of uh, many people to blame, a part of the blame on the first goal as well. So I think Allegri, do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm stealing a comment here from someone, an Italian journalist, and I'm interested to get your take on it. You know, Allegri was always the famous pragmatist. We've talked about it a lot. We've both actually expressed admiration for his pragmatism. This almost feels dogmatic, like this refusal to, to, to break out, this refusal to be more adventurous, because frankly, Juventus' best football was when they were going forward. Yeah, it's interesting because I was having a little bit of a, a Twitter conversation and I always like having conversations with people who don't necessarily agree with me because I like to see the other side, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and by the end of it, sometimes I actually be like, yeah, actually, you, you do have a point. Or other times I'll be like even more dogmatic in my point of view. And, and the question is for somebody who actually is an admirer of Allegri, who I was chatting to, who was really, really annoyed about the way that this game was going and just in general, like how it has been for the eight game stretch and saying, you know, Juventus has been awful. We were just waiting for them to be exposed, which is kind of a little bit of what you said off the Cremonese. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly didn't feel the same way. And I still don't feel the same way in that sense that I, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe Real Madrid were lucky to win the Champions League. I don't think Juventus were lucky to manage an eight-game streak. I always think you create your luck. Just like I don't believe in being unlucky either when people try to explain to me that Pep hasn't won you know, the Champions League with Manchester City because you can't be unlucky for six years in a row. Like, come on. <laughs> it always comes back to Pep. <laughs> it always comes back to Pep. It really does, you know. But I, I guess that for me in this in this match, what was you're right. They're better when they go on the front foot. So it, to well, me, not always, it was playing but in Chiesa. This game, they definitely were. Playing Chiesa as a fullback is just mesmeric and it's stupidity. Like it's <laughs> just, you would like, it's just in like, as in, I honestly have no idea how you even, I, I like you said, I, it makes sense if you're a team that's about to go, you know, full throttle ahead mm -hmm. and play like Klopp's, you know, rock and roll football and just attack, attack. And then you can just expose their defensive weaknesses, which is a little bit like, you know, at least this is the way that Inter can do when they counter. But you don't have that. And not only that, you don't have a midfield that's functioned very well. And, and unfortunately, you do have absences that make a difference. I mean, this is what, what really annoys me perhaps in, in all of this is not that I, I think that Allegri didn't do a good job. It was clear because the, the formation kept changing. He's, he changed it towards the end of the second half in which he finally does move Keza away from that role and, and puts him sort of at the, at the top on the other side. And, and you think to yourself, okay, well, you should have probably started with that. And then McKenney's there. McKenney, I personally don't think he should have been playing this game. He's not the right guy. And when you think of teams that play really well or who makes the difference, it's always been Fagioli. So I was really shocked that he wasn't started in that. And I don't know whether it's like, oh, he's a kid. He's not going to be able to this. He's the guy that made a difference against Inter. I would have loved to have seen him play this match, frankly speaking. I honestly, I thought of long and hard about how I would have changed this game. It, it, what's interesting as well is is that there were 26 tackles from Napoli. I mean, this is a team that played really good football, but 26 tackles, I mean, this is a combative side as well. 
And it helped that they ha- there was a referee there that wanted to, the game to play, which made it so much more entertaining, so much more brilliant to watch. Obviously, Allegri and, and his side lost all their basic structures, all their ability to defend, and the midfield capitulated, which means the defense were under so much pressure. So people who want to talk about Bremer not doing a great job or the fact that he lost this play or that play or whatever it is, at the end of the day, you defend as a unit. So if you decide to, this is why Milan, when people talk about Tomori, for me, the midfield is not acting as a, as a perfect unit. And so what happens is there's too much pressure and there's only so much a man can handle at the back. This is why lots of mistakes can happen. But what annoys me is that this goes so far into being, you know, he's he's terrible. This has always been the way. And I, I don't agree with these types of things. I don't agree with them saying, oh, so you're the absence of Pogba is what makes the difference. No, it's perhaps not Pogba, but absences do make a difference. And when everyone made fun of Allegri at the time, when he said, let's see how Inter and Milan handle absences, Milan is showing us how they do that. If there is a loss when you lose Cuadrado and especially Vlaovic, because a striker was what was needed, a striker who could apply some pressure, who could hold up the ball at the time. Milik was really struggling because he's not a lone guy up front. But despite all of this, and you can say all of how bad they are and they don't need to be stuck up for, and, and Juventus were hideous. Napoli is just on another level. I have never seen a team manage this much brilliance in every way, shape or form. And it culminates in that beauty up front. I mean, Kravitzkelia is one thing. But for me, Osimhen has to be a top five striker in the world. I honestly cannot like top five, like I put him in the same company as Mbappe, in Haaland, in Lewandowski, in Benzema. You know, I'm not even counting Messi and Ronaldo. Or what I'm, I actually even probably would prefer him over Lewandowski. That's how much I think he's amazing. Like he is just on another level in terms of intensity, in terms of leadership, not just his technical ability, his tactical intelligence, how much he gives everything there. It's also just his ability to, to enjoy himself, to want to be there. I think that he should be you know, we talk about Zlatan and how he changes things for Milan and about how he is the, the guy. Like, Osman is the guy for everyone. I think he can inspire a generation with just how much he loves the game and how much he plays it at full throttle. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with Osman. I'm obsessed with him. I think he's, I think he's, you know, you mentioned Lewandowski there, Mina, and like, this is not about like your back catalogue, right? Lewandowski is, has a back catalogue that very few people ever can, sure. can live up to. And Osman hasn't done that yet, right? Like Osman hasn't, hasn't, no. hasn't done that on that sort of concerted level. So we're not talking about someone's like historic record. But if you ask me right now, if I was making a team right of players now. that I could pick, I'm taking Osman over Lewandowski, 100%. Like it's, that's not even really a thing that I doubt. Um, I think there's, there's really probably only two strikers in the world, number nines anyway. Num- let's keep it to number nines. There's two strikers in, in the world who I think I, I, I feel like I feel like I would struggle not to put ahead of him. And that's Erling Haaland and, mm-hmm. and it's Karim Benzema. That's it. Like if I'm picking a team right now that I need to win a game and I can have any number nine in the world. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know who else I'd, I'd pick ahead of that. I'm, I'm not taking Harry Kane ahead of him. I, I think Osman's no. got much more to his game than Harry Kane has right now. Me too. Yeah. And there's room for improvement. You know, that. Yeah, exactly. you, know like you feel like there's room for improvement. Exactly. He's, 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 as you describe me, like he, he's like watching like his big kid sometimes playing football. He's so like full of energy and enthusiasm. And that's really, I don't know, uplifting and, and joyful and, and fun to watch. 
but it's not like that's his main asset. His main asset is that he's just technically extraordinary. Like he can do things that are extraordinary. He's got incredible balance. He's got really supreme close control. Like he's got body control, I think is this really big thing when you get sort of a ganglia striker like that. It's a bit of a cliche to talk about because it's a good touch for a big man, but it's it's about body control. It's about how you steady yourself, manipulate your sort of body position to like, to get a, to ease a defender out of your way and to create the space to shoot. He does all of that stuff so, so well. He's got a brilliant shot. He's good in the air. And he's got that instinct, which we saw on that first goal of attacking that space, looking for the rebound of being like, okay, this might break. This might not be done. We have to put ourselves in position to look for that chance. That striker's instinct. And you know, like one of the few criticisms of him actually, and I think it was barely a criticism really, but one of the few questions I suppose about him was that he hadn't scored yet against Milan, Inter or Juventus. Now he's been injured a lot and he hasn't played that many of these games. So that's why it wasn't that big of a conversation. But yeah, now he's, he's got that duck off his back as well. Duck off his back, monkey off his back. Sorry, just mixing metaphors. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I thought that even that tied in a bit with Spalletti at the end of the game. One of the other things he said, cause um, he was asked like, oh, did you send a message to the league with this result? And he was like, the only message we sent was to ourselves. Like, this is us sending a message to ourselves that we can go and do this. We can, we can be this team. And he said for ages that he thinks Victor Osserman is like, has lots more to show us. He's like, what's exciting about him is you're seeing like the tip of the iceberg right now. So if this is another step on that path to get rid of that idea of, oh, I don't score against these teams. Brilliant. Cause yeah, he's, he's wonderful. It's interesting because, you know, when we were watching Serie A, we always thought that it would be Vlaovic that would be, end up being the best player in Serie A from a strike, as a striker, you know. And not that I think Vlaovic, you could really feel that his absence in this particular type of match because Juventus need a striker right now. But I have... Do they need like, Vlaovic? Never that been... might be a different question. <laughs> they need a striker. <laughs> you know, need that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been as blown away by someone's ability as I have been by Victor Osman, especially in this match. I've, I've never seen anyone who wants it so much. Like, it's just this... Like I swear to you, if there was a whole rifle squad behind and they had, like, they were shooting guns, he would still be there, like, trying to score goals where everyone else would have walked off. I don't know. I don't, there are not enough superlatives to honestly describe just what he is as a player and just how he just turns play defenders around and always finds he moves so quickly. His speed of execution, it's so quick, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, terrific. Absolutely terrific. But so was Anguissa, so was Lobotka. Again, offered so much space and time. You know, this is what I think is so interesting is like Inter did so well to cage Napoli's best players, really sort of neutralize all of their strengths. Um, in the way that they defended. And I was really shocked by how almost arrogant Juventus were in the ability that they came in there without a real plan as to how to defend and neutralize the key points of Napoli's game. It was like, we'll handle it. And I was like, how do you propose we're going to handle it with Chiesa? Inter had like five men around Kravetskelia. And, and you want to, you think Chiesa and you know, Danilo is going to do enough of a job for it. Like, it's just, it's, it's interesting, like how, when you have a team that has set a blueprint as to how you can overcome, I am a little bit shocked at the way that this game was done um, and the way that it's gone. And I do think that Napoli is the perfect team to expose the weaknesses of Juventus. But I also think that there's, I honestly can't think of a team right now, including Manchester City, that can stop Napoli. So um, to, to, to call back to the thing you said before, Mina, like, I, I couldn't disagree with you more about luck. I think luck is absolutely a thing and like decides games. And I think over time, 
yes, the, the better you are, the more lucky you get. I think that's always true. But I think individual moments can, can change situations for sure. And, and I think even within this game, you can point to moments and, and raise the question. Like at 2-1, Rahmani deflects the ball towards his own goal and Alex Merritt pulls off an amazing save. And if it's two all at halftime, maybe there is a different game in the second half. Maybe there is a, a, a sudden sort of wobble in that confidence and, and, and things go differently. Because to be sort of completely fair to Juventus, going forward in the first half, they did, they did bother Napoli. They did. Angel Di Maria's goal was not a bolt completely out of the blue. There was a few opportunities they created. Di Maria's goal was very good, by the way, because he also hit the woodwork, didn't he? Yeah, he also hit the woodwork. And then, yeah, and like you said, Keza created that great chance that Murray saved from. So, 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 so the first half was not anything like as one side as the second half. The second half, Juventus completely capitulated. Yes. And to sort of just name some of the other people, because we rightly, I think, are focused on Usman, but, you know, Rahmani's goal is brilliant and not necessarily something you expect from him as centre-back. He took it really well first time. Then um, you had Kvaratskhelia setting up Osman for a second one. So Osman two goals and assist, Kvaratskhelia two assists and a goal. The two of them, obviously, sensational together. But then even Aljef Almos comes off the bench and scores a really nice goal, coming, cutting in from the flank and, and firing off his left foot. Become a member at patreon.com forward slash Chronicles for regular bonus episodes and content. Sports Social Podcast Network.